Open your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5. Man, what a great day to sing praises unto God. He is faithful. When I look around this congregation, I see some young folks. I, I hope some of you children and teens and young adults that you're looking around at some of the older people around you because some of those older people, they, they know that song. They might not know the, the rhythm. They might not know all the lyrics. They'll, they'll get those a little later on. But they, they know that they've never walked alone. I mean, some of these older adults in our congregation this morning, I mean, they've, they've been around a little while. They've, I mean, we, we're talking some that are 50 and 60 and 70 and 80 and 90. I mean, and, and when they sing, I've never walked alone, that means something, doesn't it? Because you're going to hit some days when you feel like you're walking alone. And you're going to need one of these older adults that had some of those days and probably still experienced some of those days when they feel alone. And they're going to say to you, it doesn't matter how bad it gets. It doesn't matter how low you feel. You are never alone. Some of our younger generation will be heading out to camp this week. The students are headed down to the beach for student week. I get the privilege of going down on Monday night and speaking to them, looking forward to just hanging out with the students some. And uh, Our children will be going to Camp Caraway this week too. We've got a lot of happy parents this week. They're kids, they're students. No, they might be happy for a day or two, but by the end of the week, they're going to be, where, man, where are my kids? Bring them back. 1 Timothy chapter 5, let's stand got a little bit more reading to do than normal this week. We're going to take a larger passage, verses 1 through 16. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow left all alone has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled if she's not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work, but refused to enroll younger widows for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander, for some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them, 
Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. You may be seated. And join with me in prayer. Father, it's so good to open up your word this morning. How refreshing to let your word wash over us today, to hear the pure word. I pray that as we open up this text, that we would properly understand it. Help me to accurately explain it. I pray that we will, we will look deep within ourselves at what application should be in each one of us. What application should be for each one of us this day. Father, we pray that you'll do your good work in us through your word this morning. We do pray for our students as they head out, that you'll give them safety as they travel, safety while they're there, and safety upon their return. But even more importantly, we pray that this week will be a life-changing experience. May they be inspired and let it be just a, a wonderful week, but we pray that it would be so much more than just a week that they'll learn truths that will stay with them for the rest of their lives. We pray that same for our children as they travel to camp too for safety, but also life change, that any one of our children and students that don't know you yet, we pray that they will have a better understanding of what a relationship with you looks like because they went on this camp. And we pray that, again, upon their return, our students and our children that they will have more respect for their parents, they'll have more respect for your word, and they'll have more respect for you. We ask all this today in Jesus' name. Amen. The church is a family and partners with family. That's our focus this morning. That's what I believe this text is going to bring to us, and we'll break it down into two points. But I would say to you, first, it's the church's job to equip families and how to live according to God's design. From the beginning, the enemy, the deceiver, has attempted to, to tear down anything that's important to God. That's part of what he does here on earth. He steals and he kills and he destroys. And is there anything that has been more disrupted, more distorted than the family? You think about all the different stages of life. You think about children even before they're born. Don't you know the enemy hates children? And all he can do to destroy even children before they're born, he'll do that. And then after they're born, all that he does to distract parents, these primary disciple makers, these ones who are charged to shepherd and protect and raise up and teach and train, he will do all he can to distract their parents and their grandparents from pouring into them and making disciples at home. And so we raise a generation that are undiscipled, uh, who are uh, unruly, who are very self-centered. And of course that leads into the teen years where teens instead of respecting and honoring and following their parents somehow think that it's their job to run the house and their own lives and do their own thing without any regard to parental authority or the home that God has placed them in. Again, the enemy's very tricky and he's deceptive. Well, what about young adults who somehow think they don't want any responsibility? So why get a job? Why get married? Why do all that when I can just kind of take it easy and coast through life? Or maybe it's the married uh, phase of life where a husband or a wife is so self-centered that they're not really serving the other person or serving their families and doing the assignments that God's given them that will really bring 
the truest joy and the truest meaning in walking with God and fulfilling what he put them here on earth to do. Or maybe it's the aging adults that become so self-centered that they don't even really care about the next generation. If it's not about me and me getting what I want and my needs met, then I don't really care about anybody else. Again, can you see that the family, all ages and stages and whatever that family might look like, uh, single, married, uh, widowed, it, it doesn't, with children, without children, it, the enemy steals, kills, and destroys. It's the church's job to equip families. From God's Word itself, He teaches us that all Scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so when we come together as a church family, we're encouraging each other. We're exhorting one another, not only to know God, but to live life like God intended, so that we can enjoy Him and bring glory to Him. And so this is very word that pastors and teachers are called to the church to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. We, we come to the word of God and the church is uh, making disciples so that families can make disciples and that men and women and boys and girls can make disciples. We have a teaching and equipping ministry. Paul told Timothy when he was writing this, this, him this letter, his purpose in writing, remember, in verses 14 and 15 of chapter 3, I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. What are we to do as a church family? Well, we're not raising children as a church family. No more than the public school raises children or a private school raises children or the government raises children. Parents raise children. Parents and grandparents are pouring into their lives. And so as a church, we equip parents for that huge assignment that they've been given. The church is a teaching ministry. It is an equipping ministry. It is a group that meets together to learn and to encourage one another as we worship God and then as we go from this place to serve God. And so in and of itself, let's get our first point. The church is a family. We don't do what families do as far as responsibilities, parents being the primary disciple makers, but we act like a family. We treat each other like family. And the first two verses tell us that in chapter 5. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him. Family is about relationships. We get this earthly reality that points to spiritual truth. And, and that is, our biological families point to a greater reality of being under the headship and authority of God who is our Father. Now, not everybody has God as their Father, only those who have been adopted into His family. Only those who've placed their faith in Jesus' death and resurrection and confessed Jesus as Lord, they, they've been adopted into the family. They're a part of the family of God, and God is their Father, part of what we pray for and hope for and work toward is that more and more people will become a part of the family of God and have God as their father. And when God is our father, we begin to treat each other differently. We act like family because that's what God leads us to do. And so it affects the way that we speak to each other. Instead of rebuking, 
which has the overtone of a harshness, almost a mistreatment of another person in this particular context. He says, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him. These words have application for each one of these relationships. We're, we see generational uh, admonitions here, older and younger. We, we see gender relationships, men and women being referred to here. And in the church, we recognize generations and we recognize genders. God made us to be generational and he made us to be gender specific. It's a part of God's design. And the church acknowledges that. And we treat each other accordingly, generationally and gender specific. When you see this particular text, it does say something about the way we speak to each other. So rebuke would be harsh. Encourage would be gentle. We treat each other either harshly or gently. If you rebuke harshness, if you encourage gentleness... As, as we play this out, rebuke also might speak of being judgmental. Accusatory almost, but judgmental. Encourage would speak more of being compassionate. You know, it's easy to point the finger at other people and say, well, you did this and you did that and, and you're bad at this and you're not good at that. It's judgmental as opposed to, you know, I, I'm in the same boat. I sin. I mess up. And I might have something to say because you did something that hurt my feelings or you did something that wasn't good, but I'm going to do it in an encouraging way, not in a rebuking kind of way. It's, it's not judge family. We're, we're not, we don't treat each other in a judgmental way. We treat each other in a compassionate way. Uh, to rebuke would be somewhat punitive. I'm going to pay you back. I'm going to give you what you deserve. I'm going to really let you have it. Rebuke. Encourage is more restorative, redemptive. I want to win you back. I want to help you to get on the right page, if at all possible. It's not punitive, it's restorative. In other words, to rebuke shows disrespect. It's treating each other less than God would view them and see them. To encourage someone is to respect them, to see them as a human being, to lift them up, Sometimes even as parents, if we're not careful, we can move more into that rebuke as, a, as opposed to encourage, right? And so instead of seeing our kids as human beings, we treat, treat them almost as less. And we can be more harsh with them than, we're, than we are with anybody else. And our goal should be redemptive. It should be restorative. God values our children as much as he does any adult, any colleague, any other person, and so our goal here is to encourage and to lift up, not be harsh and judgmental and punitive with our relationships. So now think with me here, each one of these kind of relationships in the church, and you know who you are in each category. I don't have to say you're an old man or you're a young man, and I certainly wouldn't say you're an old woman, and you know who you are. But it's, it's about these relationships that he's saying, this is how you ought to treat each other. Treat older men like fathers. If you're treating an older man like a father, that would mean what, what God has already commanded children to do, to honor and respect. Honor your father and your mother. It's honoring them. And so younger generation, when you see an older adult and you show deference, you hold a door, 
you are kind to, you speak to, you're respecting them. Kids and teens, respect your elders. Treat the people who are older than you in the congregation with a deep respect, the same kind of respect that God expects you to have for your your dad at home. If you're not respecting your dad at home, you're probably not respecting other authorities and other older people in your life. God intends for that to be a part of the process. So treat older men, he's speaking specifically to Timothy as a pastor, but this is applicable to the whole church family Treat the older men like fathers. Treat the younger men as brothers. They're no less. Somebody might not be where you are, might not think like you do, might not dress like you do, might not have the same kind of taste as you do, but you're to treat that younger man as a brother with respect. And then older women as mothers. Same back up as the older generation of men. The older generation of women, utmost respect. Treat them like moms, like mothers. And then younger women as sisters in all purity. Isn't that interesting how he adds that tag for the younger women in all purity? I think it says something about manhood. True manhood is protecting women. It's not using them. It's not seeing them in any other way other than that you are going to respect them and take care of them. You're going to treat them like sisters. Sometimes when I'm talking to younger men, especially discipling, singles, Uh, teens, I ask them to find a text that tells them how they're to treat their girlfriends Uh, or even engage. How are you to treat this this woman as a a man that you're engaged to or this man as a woman that you're you're engaged to? How are you to treat them? Well, this is it in all purity. Until you're married, you're to treat that woman, young men, as a sister in all purity. You're to protect her. Because until you're married, you're not married, right? That's not complicated. Until you're married, you're not married. And you're to be a one-woman man, and this woman may not end up being your wife. You treat her as a sister until you're married with absolute purity. These relationships, again, notice they're generational and they're gender-specific. This is family unity when we all come together. As we've tried to state many times over, and I'm going to keep saying it, my goal for Lawndale is that it will be a biblical church and an intergenerational church. We're going to know the Word of God. We're going to study the Word of God. We're going to do all we can to be in line with the Word of God. We must be a biblical church. But I think also as we read Scripture, it's, it's an intergenerational family. We have older and younger, and many churches don't realize today how poor they are because they're focused on one generation. And they only have older adults, or they only have younger adults, instead of having the wide breadth and richness that God expects with His family. We need the older, and we need the younger. And without it, we're poorer for it. God meant for us to focus on the generations and on the genders. One reason we're doing Sunday evenings like we are now is to have more generational and gender-specific interaction. I love the fact that we have ladies of all ages every Sunday night that we meet in the Christian Life Center gathered around tables, senior adults and middle age and young adults and students that are gathered around tables fellowshipping and interacting over the text of Scripture. Isn't that a huge blessing to even think about that? 
I love the I love the fact that I can be in here in the sanctuary with all the men on Sunday evenings at five o'clock, and I can see an old man, I can see a middle-aged man, I can see a college student, I can see a student, all in the same circle talking about life, talking about the scriptures and how it applies to life. That's intergenerational. That's gender specific. That's what healthy churches should look like. And I believe that's what God's doing in our church family and that he has called us not just to do it here at Lawndale but to replicate that as we develop leaders and send them out. So the church is a family. Now the second thing that I want you to see today is the church partners with families. There are a number of generations that are mentioned in verses 3 through 16. And particularly, it's around this idea of widows, older adults. How are they going to be cared for? How are they going to be taken care of? The early church struggled with that. It's one of the reasons that we believe that they initiated the office of deacon, is that some of the widows weren't being taken care of. Widows are important to God. Just read through the Old Testament and, or look through a concordance or Google widows in the Bible and you'll see all the times that it's mentioned in the Old Testament. But you'll also see that it's mentioned in the New Testament. And it's interesting that God focuses on family so much in this one book. This one book to the local church, to a pastor, Timothy, to tell him how to lead the church at Ephesus. So much is said about family, but yet also so much space is dedicated to talking about widows and older adults within the church family. So God gives directives, and there are two kinds of widows that he's going to mention. You get the first kind in verse 3, honor widows who are truly widows. That is, no extended family to take care of them. Honor widows, take care of them, provide for them, encourage them who are truly widows. And then you get the second category of widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household. A number of things I think are important here. And that is when you see uh, the generations, you see the older adults, widows, you see adult children and would be more middle-aged and you see adult grandchildren, probably the younger uh, adults. Isn't it interesting, those three generations? And more is going to be said to talk about the kinds of lives and the other stages that they enter into. But as a church, part of our assignment is to equip families. And what he's saying here is equip parents. Equip parents. Uh, there are a couple of ways to think of parents, but parents invest in kids. When you see uh, in verse 4, he said, if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. In other words, parents have done their job of making disciples while their kids were little. And they've learned respecting authority. They've learned a relationship with God. And now they're able to take what they've learned and they put it into practice. These parents have cared for, discipled, provided for these kids as they've grown up. And now they're grown adults and, and their parents need help. They need assistance. And God is saying, 
take care of them. Fulfill your responsibility. Now it's come full cycle. It's a part of the plan of God. It's what God designed us to do as we live life here on fallen earth. So think, equip parents to be the primary disciple makers. What about those parents who are in the throes of raising their kids right now? God's saying what you're doing is important. Whether you have a child that's one year old, or whether you have a child that's 11 years old or 21 years old, there are ways that parents invest in kids in all these different uh, stages of life. We, we will sometimes refer to the early stages as the cop phase, where you're showing authority. And, and then we hit the coach phase as they hit these kindergarten and childhood years where you're the coach, you're in the middle of life, you're doing it with them, you're modeling, you're teaching, you're discipling. And then you hit the consultant stage when you send them out as young adults. But the idea is, is that you're investing in your kids and part of what Lawndale is committed to doing is equipping parents in that process. That's why we have a next generations team. That's why as Kevin leads... Uh, our student pastor, our children's and family, our college, uh, and uh, the different age groups over uh, our generations. We're, we're committed to helping those parents know how to be the primary disciple makers. We partner with families primarily by equipping parents. But then we also provide children's ministries and student ministries so that we can help in that discipleship. But we're just a partner. We're not the primary disciple maker. That's, that's what you do. I, I'm thankful to, this is our, our first Sunday with our, our new student pastor, Zach. Uh, he and his wife. Uh, are they in the service right now? Maybe not. They might be with the students. That's exactly where they are. I should have known that. But we're, we're grateful for having a full staff of people that will come alongside of helping parents. So we in we equip parents, but we also equip grandparents. Who are the second biggest influences in children's lives? You grandparents. You should be that. How do you influence your children and interact with your, your, your children to be a partner with them and what they're doing in raising your grandchildren? There's a, there's, a, there's a significant role there. There's a process, and there's a place for you as you do that. We want to equip grandparents, but we also want to equip adult children and grandchildren. I, I probably should have put that on your outline, equip adult children and grandchildren. Because the text is speaking to all these different generations. As they've grown up, they've learned to take responsibility. They've learned uh, that it's not all about me and what I want and what I get. They learn how to serve others. And they've learned that in the family. As they've been a part of being raised by parents and grandparents. And now they're learning where they can serve. Extended family. We equip families. And if we don't equip families, then we are playing a part of the process of our families being destroyed. Notice down in verse 8, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. If we don't learn how to take care of our own biological families, saying we, we haven't really learned the faith. We, we learn how to live our faith at home. If we're going to follow Christ and love like he does and sacrifice like he did, and we're going to be obedient to him, it's going to be seen and evidenced in our own homes. 
And if it's not evidenced in your home, then maybe there's not the genuineness. Maybe there's not authenticity there. Maybe it's all hypocritical, a lot of talk, and not really much being lived out. I think this is interesting. And back up in verse 4, let me, let me touch a couple of things before we move on here. Not only should we learn to show godliness at home first, did you get that in verse 4? Let them first priority learn to show godliness to their own household. It is speaking about children and tra- grandchildren taking care of widows, but I think there's a broader application there, isn't there? Learn to live out your faith at home first, a priority. To make some return for their par- to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. Sometimes people think about, well, taking care of older adults, you know, that, that doesn't seem too um, elaborate. That doesn't seem too glamorous, does it? But in God's eyes, it's one of the most important things you can do. It's showing genuine faith that pleases God. This whole family thing, sometimes there's a young mom who's taking care of a baby or a toddler or a young child, and she thinks, I'm wasting my time. That, that would be a really good lie from the devil. You're just wasting your time. And God is saying, what more important thing is there than making disciples at home? And, and then that, uh, that applies to an older adult when sometimes we get to a certain age and we think, now I can really devote my life to all this other stuff and do whatever I want. And God's saying, I've got something really, really important for you to do. An extended family should take care of those older adults. In this text, there's something specific for widows too. It's almost like Paul is saying, here are a couple of things that are important for widows that I want to make sure they're focused on. In verse 5, she who is truly a widow left all alone has set her hope on God. Now, I think that's important for all of us. But a widow, when, when she's left all alone, she's modeling what it looks like to trust in God alone. She doesn't have all the other relationships and expectations of others who are doing all this stuff for her. She set her hope on God, and that's where we all ought to set our hope and get our joy and our meaning from, is that relationship with God. And notice what else she does. She continues in supplications and prayers night and day. Older adults have more opportunity for more prayer. I found as an empty nester, I don't, now I'm not getting up to crying kids, wanting breakfast real early. My wife and I, we're not trying to navigate what that looks like in the home. We have more time to spend with the Lord, reading the Word and praying. Now, a lot of that prayer may be focused on those kids and those grandkids, but that, you're, you're, you have more time for that. Even on the weekends, there's more time for that. It's, it's easy to see life now is about me. Now I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to go have fun, and I'm going to go do this, and I'm going to go do that. And people can spend their whole retirement years, all of those older years, selfishly just on self, just doing what I want to do. And he's saying to these widows, what a great opportunity. Man, she, she sets her hope on God. She continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Self-indulgent, all about me. You know what? That, that, that reflects no relationship to God. That reflects all about me. And this person is not doing anything eternal. They're just about me. They're just about themselves. And of course, Paul tells Timothy again, command and teach these things 
so that they may be without reproach. How do you live out these older years in the best possible way? It's thinking about the next generation. Whether you have children or grandchildren or not, you're pouring into that next generation. If you do have children and grandchildren, you're pouring into that next generation. How do you preach and teach and bring about the glory of God on earth in all the days that you've been given? Would to God that he would teach us how to number our days aright so that we would use them well as kids and students and young adults and middle-aged adults and older adults that none of our days would be wasted, but they would all be lived for the glory of God. Let me give you a couple of points in this idea of equipping families. The biological family has priority over other assignments but never has loyalty over your relationship with God. In other words, sometimes we can get so busy with a lot of good things even outside our own homes that we neglect our home. And I think what this passage is teaching us is to give priority at home. There are a lot of good things that you, we can do, and some of those we can do them together outside of our homes, but take care of your home first. We get that from the uh, qualifications of an elder and a deacon, Take care of your home. Prove your, prove your leadership qualities by leading your home well. And we see that in this text. Take care of older adults. You see the priority there. Now, I didn't say loyalty. The Bible does teach us that our loyalty is to God. And so sometimes our families may want us to do something that's against what God wants us to do or that is outside of the will of God. Your loyalty is always to God. But I am saying give priority to your family and the priority is your ministry on behalf of God as an ambassador as a minister of reconciliation give priority to your family don't neglect your family secondly the biological family provides opportunity it, it provides us a chance to give priority but it also provides us an opportunity to give uh, for believers to practice their faith and progress in their faith Show your faith at home. The spiritual family is stronger if you take care of your biological family. Our church is more healthy. Our church is a better church when you take care of your family. God meant for you to take care of your family. Then you're able to practice your faith and you're more prepared to do the work that we do as a spiritual family. It works hand in hand. The church is a partner with the family. So we equip families, but we also serve families. Notice in verse 9, there, there are two groups from verses 9 through 16. We've talked about two, two kinds of widows, but there's also two age groups of widows. In verse 9, let a widow be enrolled if she's not less than 60 years of age. Now, there are two common interpretations for verse 9. Some will say this list that we enroll widows in is a list of people we will take care of. We'll put together a list of widows we'll take care of. Now, I I don't think that's the case. I, I don't think that's the proper interpretation of this passage because it's almost like saying we'll not care for any widows that don't meet these qualifications. I mean, and and it's a pretty tough list here. And if you don't live up to these expectations, then don't, don't come to us for any kind of help if you're a widow, if you take that first interpretation. So I'm, I'm showing my cards early to say I believe this is the second uh, way to interpret this. And that is, here's a list of widows 
who will serve other widows and serve more strategically in the life of the church. They'll serve widows, they can serve their families, they can serve more strategically in the life of the church. And so there's a list of qualifications, almost like what we find for the elders in chapter 3 and the deacons in chapter 3. And I think you'll see some similarities that it's this kind of woman that you want pouring into other women, taking care of widows, and strategically serving in the life of the church. So again, read with me in verse 9. Let a widow be enrolled if she's not less than 60 years of age. Now, one reason that he's saying 60 years of age is because there was a commitment that came along with serving in this group of women. And younger women would oftentimes want to get married again, have kids, uh, And instead of following through with a commitment or a pledge that was being made to be on this list, they would forsake that pledge. And Paul is saying, you know what? Make this group an older group. Let the younger women marry. Let them have kids. Let them be invested in relationships. Because oftentimes all the energy they have to give, the devil can take that energy and tempt them in other ways. To be gossips and to be idle and all the things that are listed in that second group beginning in verse 11. So he was saying, let this be an older group of women, 60 years of age, not not less than that. Having been the wife of one husband, same qualification as is stated for the overseer and deacon. This woman, she would have been a one-man woman. Just like the elders and the deacons are one-woman men. They're fully devoted, not flirtatious. She's not been prone to, to any kinds of accusations or ideas or relationships. She's been fully devoted to her husband. And then verse 10, having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, whether hers or helped with others, investing in the other generation, the next generation. She's given her life to what's really important in in family life, has shown hospitality, washed the feet of saints, cared for the afflicted, devoted herself to every good work. Those are the kind of women you set up as models so that they can pour into the next generation, serve other widows, and again serve strategically in the life of the church. So a group who can serve with focus due to her stage of life and due to the qualifications of her life. Now there's a group who can't serve with focus. That's the younger women. And you saw that in verses 11 through 15, how that uh, it's normal that they would want to be engaged more in their family life. They would want to be married. They'd want to be raising kids and that's, that's good. And Paul says that's what they should be investing their lives in. And then we come to verse 16. Let me give you this verse as we try to bring this together. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. When I read through that text as I was studying this week, the one phrase that really stuck out at me was believing woman, if any believing woman. A believing woman is different than an unbelieving woman. A follower of Christ as a woman is different than some woman who does not follow Christ. If you are a believing woman, you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ. You have received new life in Him. You've been born again. Your life is different. Your life is different. 
What's most important to a believing woman? What's to love God and obey Him and glorify Him? It's not to chase the world's dreams or even maybe what she grew up with in fairy tales dreams. But it's to chase the dream that God has given her to love Him more and to obey Him and to honor Him, to carry out the assignments that He's given her here on earth. Don't chase the world's dreams, ladies. They'll always disappoint you. The world will always disappoint you. But Jesus is faithful. And even though you might not see what he's doing in your life, it'll all come together. You'll, you'll, you'll see, at least on the other side of eternity, what this brief life was all about when you follow him. Maybe you're a woman or a man today who is not a believing woman or man. It's, it's a life changer to place your faith in Jesus. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. And the only way a sinner can enter into heaven is to have all of his or her sin forgiven. Jesus paid that price that you could be forgiven. You think about all these assignments and and and. I'm, I'm probably throwing our uh, PowerPoint person way off because I've been jumping all around with these points that I'm making. There's a lot of latitude in how we carry out God's assignments. There's a lot of latitude. There are different ways to care for, di- for aging parents. The point is you must care for them. There are different ways for grandkids as adults uh, to help aging parents. The point is, they should be a part of that process. There are different ways for churches to care for widows. The point is, we're supposed to take care of widows. The assignments are the same, but they can look a lot different. With your faith in Jesus Christ, there's only one way to be saved. It cannot look different. It is the same. To be a believing woman or a believing man, there's only one way to be saved. One way to be a believer. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. How are you with your relationship with God right now? The world would discount people loving God. And we know that there's nothing more important for us than to love Him. And when we look at this passage, we're trying to say... True followers of Christ, this is what it looks like. As a parent, as a grandparent, as an adult child, you can't earn your relationship with God, but because you do know God, this is what you do. Your life has been changed and your values have been changed. And so this is what you do. Out of love for God, not because people deserve it, but out of love for God, this is how you live your life. There's responsibility, a biological family, to provide for each other. There's responsibility with the church family, to partner with families, equipping them. There's responsibility with deacons to care for widows in that lead role. And there's responsibility for widows that God's called them to serve in the church and to give of themselves for the next generation. But it all comes from the very fact that we've placed our faith in Jesus and now we value what he values He changed our heart. He forgave us for our sins. And now we're giving our lives for him. Church family, let's be a family. Let's be a family. And let's partner with families. 
so that we can please God in what we do. Let's pray together. Father, as we consider our relationship with you, I pray for each person who's here. I pray that if there's any doubt of the genuineness of their relationship with you, that they would clear that up today. Lord, we pray for those who don't know you. May they place their faith in Christ and Christ alone. And we pray that as a church that we'll grow more and more into a family. That we will treat the older men like fathers, the older women like mothers, the younger men like brothers, and the younger women like sisters. Lord, make us more into a family and help us that we will equip families to do the work that you've assigned to them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.